Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Wealthy on. I'm your host, Eric Chemi. So much has happened in the markets this week. I got to get right to it. Jay Woods is here from Freedom Capital Markets. Jay, thank you so much for joining me here. What a crazy week. We've seen NVIDIA we're going to get into. You can't avoid it, right? Yep. You can't really, the move it made is, is bigger than so many, is bigger than most companies. And that is the move. The Fed keeps adding confusion. We got some big data coming out. We saw some data this week. Basically, at these all-time highs, right? Keep going up beyond five thousand in the S and P. I am so confused. I don't know what to make of this. I never thought we'd. I, I thought we'd see four thousand, maybe even three thousand, before we saw five thousand, and and now we're just blowing right past it. So, so what do you make of this? What are guys on the streets saying? What are clients saying? What are you hearing around about all the confusion and, and the craziness right now? Well, well, first of all, let's enjoy that ride. I mean. It, it, we we are typical of what I keep hearing. This doesn't make sense, but we are in a secular bull market. This has gotten a little over the skis and targets that I had set out. Uh, my target for the end of the year was 5225 uh, when I, I made that call in December, and I did not anticipate the run. In fact, last you mean week end I of came out 2024, right? Not the end of 2023. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did I say 2023? No, you just said end of the year and you said December. So I wanted to make sure we're all talking about the same year here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. So I made that call in December 2023 when they ask you for your in prognications. And I thought 12% when I made that call. And to see the run we've been on uh, has been epic. We finally hit that milestone, S&P 5000. We get hats. I, I can get you a hat if you like. And, um, you know, the question is now what? And uh, given... A lot of the headlines, and we'll get into the economic economic data. Uh, we had the FOMC meet three weeks ago, and you know we're going to be higher for longer. What did the market do? It sold off one and a half percent on that day, and then it slowly rebounded and made it back. Okay, wait a second. Uh, I guess we can digest higher for longer. And then the CPI last week. What did we do? We sold off one and a half percent, and we slowly rallied. Then all eyes this week focused on one thing, one stock. NVIDIA. Why one stock? We talked about this on the floor, talked about this with you before I got on. I have not in my 30-year career seen a stock hyped as much going into earnings as we had done about NVIDIA. And I say NVIDIA, it could be NVIDIA to others. It doesn't matter how you say it, as long as you own it. But the hype was better than bigger than Apple during its iPhone cycle. It was bigger than Cisco and 
Microsoft during the dot-com era, which I got to live through as well. And this stock had everyone focused. And it was going to move the markets up or down, depending on how we did. They set the bar high, and they eclipsed it. And then they guided in ways that we didn't expect. And so when it jumped 70 points on the opening, I thought maybe it will tire here. And it kept climbing higher throughout the day, broke out to new highs. And it has lifted the spirits of investors. It's become the talk of the town. I'm sure when you go out now to your local bar or you're on the phone with a parent, they're going to ask you about NVIDIA because that's all they can talk about. So it has this hype, this euphoria. But when you look under the hood, it's justified. Their numbers are great. They're beating on all metrics. Their forward guidance continues to go to levels we didn't exceed, expect. And then if you look at the market cap, it gained $277 million in market cap. Billion. Billion. Correct yeah. me. Yes, I know. Million, that's old school. We're talking billions with a B. It's a $2 trillion company, third biggest weighting in the S&P 500 now behind Microsoft and Apple. Yeah, billion. It just A couple months ago, Meta had a day where it gained $190 billion to be the best market cap day in, in the history of the stock market. We just crushed that record. And justifiably so. They, they are the infrastructure of everything AI. Jensen Wong delivered when he talked on the call about how they have to rebuild current infrastructure and that we're still, as Dan Ives, who goes on all the financial news networks and is a friend, uh, told me and tells everyone on TV, it's still early innings. And I believe that. The, the PE multiples, the ratio, they're not euphoric. They're not bubbly. They're justified. So this stock, to me, is hitting on all cylinders. And I don't know if it can continue going up the clip it has. But if they keep performing on all metrics the way they have, it's hard not to say I need NVIDIA in my portfolio. I want to go through the charts in a little bit. But my question on the macro side with all of this, does this make sense to you, though? We're at these you know, secular bull market, the 5,000 numbers, when all these massive companies, the, the, these magnificent seven, right? Like these, they're doing layoffs, right? Everywhere I see, I see layoffs. I don't see, hey, we can't find 10,000 workers. I see we've got too many workers. You know, people at Microsoft are getting laid off. People at Google are getting laid off. So I don't understand how can we be with this kind of leadership and this kind of bull market and yet those companies themselves are doing layoffs, let alone, you know, a lot of my friends in the media industry can't get a job, right? Media is not hiring anybody, oh, right? Media, and, and that's advertising, right? It's based on advertising and that's based on consumer. So explain this to me. Yeah. And it, well, first of all, the layoffs always make the big headlines. And if you just read the headlines, you wouldn't believe the jobless numbers that continue to see unemployment at record lows. Uh, in the tech sector, we saw a giant boom after COVID, Amazon hiring, Meta hiring, and now we're seeing a correction. I think Mark Zuckerberg was the first one to say this is the great reset. They're restructuring and they're streamlining. He used the word streamlining uh, when it came to their operations. So in 2022, two years ago, we had major corrections across all mega cap stocks, NVIDIA being another one of them. Now we're starting to see how they've streamlined and the results are proving that they're running on all cylinders. So when you talk mega caps and you talk layoffs, you talk tech sector layoffs, it seems like 
when someone gets laid off in, at a Microsoft, they get picked up by a smaller company. So they're staying in the workforce and it's not affecting the bottom line. Now you hit on a source subject media. Oh my gosh, that, that's a sector where AI is now infiltrating and people are generating basic articles based on AI intelligence. That is a sector where there isn't growth, but where is the growth? In the AI sector itself, they're going to need young college graduates who can program these things. They're going to need experienced people who can tell them what they need to be looking for. So we haven't seen that spike up in unemployment that I, I think we've been waiting for for a long time. There are conspiracy theorists out there say they don't believe the jobs numbers. I won't go down those roads because you can get political and everyone complains about numbers that don't go their way. Uh, right now, that unemployment number is one that hasn't raised, has, hasn't gone up a half a percentage off the low. When it goes 3.4% unemployment was the low. If it goes to 3.9 and stays there 4% for three months on average, it triggers something called the SOM rule. Uh, it's something uh, Kelly Evans wrote about actually not too long ago. And that's when the recessionary fears will come in. That's when the inflationary fears come in. And that's when cuts may come in. And right now the inflationary data has been Cooling, its trajectory is slowly going lower, and that's why the Fed is pausing. That CPI number was a little hotter than expected. Trend is still slowing, but not at the rate they want to. And that's why next week, the PCE, when that comes out on Leap Day on February 29th, it's supposed to go from 2.9% year over year to 2.8% year over year. That is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. That's their gauge. So Watch that number. If it comes in a little higher than expected, expect at least a 1.5% sell-off in the S&P 500. I base that on what they did with the FOMC, what they did with the CPI. That is the next thing that we're watching. Uh, and for now, the, the market continues to defy a lot of logic because the headlines are telling us one thing. The inflationary data, while trending the right way, isn't as fast as people had hoped it would be. Yet, overall, the trends continue to go higher. And I'm seeing some broadening out. And we'll talk about that a little later as well. Well, I know you you brought some charts for us. Can we start to walk through some of the interesting things that you noticed? And, and obviously you are a, a CMT. What does that mean? A, is that a certified or a chartered market it's technician? A, it, it's a chartered, but if you say certified, I would never correct you. Chartered market technician. Uh, that is the equivalent of the CFA uh, in our industry for those that follow price action. Price tends to lead. Uh, I say only price pays. So as a trader, before I became an analyst, uh, the charts were everything I based things on. I looked for momentum swings. I looked for different times to enter the market. And now I like to back things out. I like to look long-term. So since we talked about NVIDIA, let, let's look at NVIDIA here. What we had in NVIDIA from a technical point of view was a stock that peaked last summer, like late May, early June. And then it started going sideways. So if you can see my cursor, it went sideways between 400 and 500 for almost seven months. That's what we call consolidation. It, it, when it breaks out to the upside, it's base building. And what we had here in early January was a breakout of that long neutral range. And when you break out of a nice consolidation zone, you're going to have momentum. And we got that and didn't we didn't just get it. Uh, I thought the stock could run 20 to 30 percent, you know, maybe to 600, 625. I did not anticipate the strength of this move. And what we're seeing now 
in NVIDIA is trading around $800. It's a little overbought. So if you look at this top chart, uh, top bar, uh, the RSI, the RSI can be overbought, overbought, oversold. Below 30 means the stock is oversold on a relative strength index. A reading over 70 means it's overbought. So anything you see in this green up here means the stock is overbought and it's due to possibly pause. It does not mean it has to come in. The RSI had been overbought for several months going back on its last leg up in 2021 before it collapsed in 2022. We've been overbought for eh, six weeks. It, it is historically high, but nothing that I'm concerned about. And, and given the run, we see a gap here. Uh, we've seen gaps in the past. NVIDIA has a history of gapping higher and staying above those gaps. So as long as NVIDIA is above 750, uh, I think that's very constructive. A pullback, while, while natural and normal, happens in most stocks. NVIDIA, is a, it's a class of its own, and, and it continues to run higher. Just before you go on NVIDIA, let's say someone feels like they've missed the run, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say somebody feels like, I was scared, I didn't know what to do, this is crazy, but now I need to jump in. Yeah. Are you a do you recommend someone buying for the first time at, at 750 on this thing? You know, it sounds crazy, but from a long-term perspective, given the space it's in, given that it's 80% of that AI space, given that its biggest customers are Meta and Google and Amazon, it's clicking on all cylinders. I think over the long term, it's still an early innings play. It's a two trillion dollar company now. Why can't it be a $3 trillion company? Will you get the meat of the move? No, you've probably missed it. But guess what? Last year going into earnings, the stock was up 47%. And now it was coming off a major drawdown. This year, the peak before it went into earnings, it did pull back a little bit, was 47%. And the question is, can it go higher? Last year, people didn't think it could go higher after you know a run into earnings of 47%. This year, everyone was negative on the name. We saw Palo Alto Networks in the cyberspace the day before had a similar run-up, and it guided lower, or guided weaker, and it, it fell off dramatically. And that had people scared going into NVIDIA's earnings. The stock, to me, is breaking out again. It's at a new level, and I think someone can buy it and put it away and not worry about it. If you're going to watch it every day, you're going to get agita. You're going to go bald like me. But if you're a long-term investor, this is a company still that is growing, that has a great story behind it, and is somewhere someone should allocate some part of their portfolio to. Okay, let's 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 see what else you got because I see a lot of tabs there. I'm excited to see what you brought for us. All right. Well, you know, I first wanted to put it into perspective. This is the S and P right. 500. This is the last year. We've gone on a tremendous run, and when we broke out above the old high here, I'm going back to last summer. We had a sell off going into October. October 27th was the low. We've rebounded. What I thought would happen is we would pause here uh, around the old highs, just under 4,600. And we did, but that pause didn't last too long, and we broke out above it. Now we're making new highs above 4,600 on a 52-week basis. And when you make new highs, you have to go back in time and look, okay, have we been here before? In the S&P 500, we had. We had to get the 4,800. We rallied to 4,800. Old highs, we paused again, we consolidated in this area here above the 20-day moving average. That green line is a 
estimated average of 20 days. Traders like to use smaller time frames. That's about a month moving average, 20 days of trading per month. And we still trended above this blue line, the 50-day. The, the trend continues to be bought. Every dip continues to be bought. And yes, I thought we had peaked. I thought we'd take a pause once we finally got to that 5,000 mark. The, the data was sh showing us otherwise. We're now through 90% of earnings season. We may get that pause now because I don't know what the next catalyst is after NVIDIA to really make the markets take that leg higher. But every time I say that, it surprises me with something. And the catalyst that I thought would take us lower, economic data points, uh, a Fed that's pausing and keeping rates higher for longer, a Fed that is not cutting and doesn't need to cut right now, uh, that should stall the market. But earnings prevailed this quarter. And what earnings did well? Microsoft did well. NVIDIA did well. Meta did well. Those are three of the top five holdings. Google, Amazon also did well. And then you get a broadening. So the one sector, if you want to pivot now, I'll go there, that I'm watching, there are actually three. They're, the industrials are breaking out to new 52-week highs, new all-time highs. Dow Jones Industrial, new high. That's a good thing. That means it's not just technology. It's the things that make. Uh, in an election year, you want to see industrials lead. We're seeing that. Healthcare breaking out of a big base. So I put the healthcare chart up. XLV is the symbol. This is basically a sector that didn't really go anywhere for over two years. It stayed in this very choppy zone. I call it a chop zone and trended around its averages and finally broke out. As you can see in this circle here, something changed. So what do I do? I look under the hood. What are the biggest stocks within the healthcare space that are moving. Well, the stocks, the winners have been the leaders all along. Eli Lilly, Abby V, Merck continue to make 52 week highs, continue to lead. The laggards, Pfizer, J&J, &J, Bristol Myers, these stocks stopped going down. Something has changed. And I see bases in these stocks and they're starting to turn. So healthcare all of a sudden is a sector that is starting to lead. So we're getting a broadening of the rally. Then when I look in it, I have one favorite stock. I'm going to go there right now if you're all right with that, Eric. Let's see it. Let's see it. Within the healthcare space, uh, last week we had 13 F filings. 13 F filings come out every quarter. They are basically reports by people that have over $100 million in asset. Your hedge fund managers, big money, smart money, if you will. And what we look for in 13F filings, while they're delayed, this is what they did in the fourth quarter. 45 days later, they have to report what they did. I look for new activity. And something really rang a bell and resonated with me. Uh, David Tepper, you may know him of Carolina Panthers fame. He also runs a hedge fund called Appaloosa. And Michael Berry, who you may know from Big Short fame, but he's run a hedge fund, uh, Skyon. And they both took new positions in a stock that I was interested in not only technically, but fundamentally, and that's HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare, the story there, one, let's, let's just look at the chart. It just broke out to new highs and consolidated and broke out. It had a strong, solid quarter, hence the gap here we see. It broke out to new highs. And the story, what does HCA, who is their demographic? It's the older generation. Well, in the next four years, more people are turning 65 than any span we've ever seen in our lifetime. 
Elder care is very important, and they are the premier providers of that. Whether it's just going in for a visit, it's going to a, a senior living facility, HCA is at the forefront of that. They're based in Nashville, 200,000 employees, so it's not a small company, and the stock is breaking out. Two of the biggest investors that I like to see what they're doing, smart money, if you will, got into the name. To me, this is a space you want to be in. And then if you want to look under the hood a little bit more, there are two names in the healthcare space, EW Scripps and Stryker. Those are also in that same demographic, service, servicing in that same demographic and breaking out to new highs. So you're blessed technically, you're blessed fundamentally. And then people that I admire, leaders, smart money are getting into the names. So that's like thrice blessed, if you will, fundamentally, technically, and smart money, that these are names that I believe should be in everyone's portfolio. And this shows that the rally isn't just Magnificent Seven. It's basing, it's broadening out, and this is a positive for the overall market. Jay, can I ask a question about the demographics? Mm -hmm. the, the age 65 thing is, in a way, a known known, right? Like, you, you could have known this 65 years ago. You could have known this as you watch these, these population trends. So, what is it about happening? What is it? What's happening now that all of a sudden an investor should jump on these when the market knows these demographic data points? It's not like we just found out. You know what I'm saying? Like that the efficient market thesis here. And that's a great question. And we can say with uh, the millennials buying houses, all the home builders are making new highs. Mortgage rates are, are spiking. But why are they making new highs? Because the, that age group is moving out and looking for that house because they have a child or two and they want to go to the suburbs. We saw that coming and the home builders went with it. So in, in this space, yeah, it was a little late to the party. It got hit in 2022, like the rest of the market. And now what we're seeing, we're seeing results. So not only is the demographic there, we should have anticipated it, yes. But people were waiting to see results, and the earnings are there. The forecast, the guidance continues to be higher because of those changing demographics. And now people are finally rushing into those stocks. So, yeah, we should have been in it earlier. But in 2022, if you thought you were early to the party knowing those statistics, unfortunately, you would have been in a major drawdown of close to 50% from peak to trough. Right, right. That makes sense. What else you got? Show, show us more. Okay, well, uh, you know, since we're talking about things to watch next week, there are two stocks that are on my radar uh, that I'm going to focus on. Actually, three. I'll talk about Zscaler as well. But Workday, uh, Workday is a, you know was a hot, high flying stock during the COVID pandemic, and in 2022, as you can see in this drawdown here, the stock basically gave back over 60% of its gains. Well, it it started bottoming, it started reversing, it's coming back. Uh, you know, HR software, that is uh, a space that, you know, now, especially with people working at home, people in the office, that continues to be a big need. So then I look at it technically. I see two things. I see this big gap here on the right-hand side, my right-hand side, uh, where we finally got back to 52-week highs. This 250 level was resistance. We cleared that hurdle last quarter. And what did we do? We ran about 50, 58 points. Two new highs, all-time highs. We got back that full roundabout to a level where we peaked in November of 2021. So we made it all back. The fundamental story continues. They continue to improve on their earnings. Uh, 
now as a trader, as someone that wants to invest, I'm very curious to see how they react to earnings. I believe there are two opportunities to buy this stock. You can buy it on a pullback if it holds this consolidation area around 280 to 285.70, which is the rising 50-day moving average. I think that would be a good time to dip the toe in the water. Or you buy it on strength. You buy it on a breakout like a NVIDIA. If it gaps higher, this has room to run. We saw it happen. It gapped higher. If you thought it was crazy to buy this stock on a positive earnings on a gap, well, you were wrong. That gap ended up being the lows. And when you want to trade a stock, you want to look at your risk and reward. And the risk reward setup is favorable to someone buying on a gap because as a technician, you don't want to see it retrace into that gap. That means something's changed and that breakout may have failed. So you can limit your loss, but if you hold on to it, setting your stops below that gap, you're, you're going to get the meat of the trade. And that's what we want to do. We, we're not going to pick every bottom. We're not going to pick every top. But we want to get the largest chunk of that trade. And uh, that's what I see in opportunity in Workday. Lowe's, we had Walmart. We had Home Depot report last week. Uh, Walmart did well, all-time highs. Home Depot did well, but not as well as a Walmart, but still doing well. This is Lowe's over three years. It's been choppy, up and down, up and down. But it's making higher lows. It's trading above its major moving averages. And if we just focus on the right side, the last year, we've, we've seen it come back and get to its 52-week high. That's constructive. We also see, and I didn't annotate this, I apologize. What we see is a nice head and shoulders formation. And when you get that, you can give yourself a targeted upside. So if this stock does perform well, I suspect it will rally at least from the bottom of the head to the neckline. So some 180 to 225, we're talking 45 points. I add that 45 to the 225 level. It's already given us seven of those. I think it's going to one run to all-time highs, which would be right in line with its peer in Walmart, and two, uh, probably go to 255, 260. So I like this setup from a technical point of view. If it pulls back, Watch the moving averages, watch the 50-day, a rising 50-day that tends to act as support, as well as this consolidation area around 210. So when I talk to my clients, my customers here at Freedom, I want to give them levels of interest where they can get involved. I don't give buy, sell, hold recommendations, but I look at risk-reward setups, and that's what I see. You mentioned these um, risk rewards. What is the typical risk-reward you're looking for when you put in a target Exit and a stop loss. Are you looking at three to one, four to one, two to one? What's the ratio you're looking for? Okay, well, that depends on the individual's risk tolerance. Uh, when I was a trader trading every two seconds down on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, the 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 setups were, were tight. If I'm a long-term investor, which I'm trying to reach out three-month, six-month target, if not longer, I, I'll, I'll give myself five to 10%. Because you don't want to set your stops too close because they could get triggered quickly and then it reverses. Your initial thesis, you want to try to stick by as much as possible. And my initial thesis is if it does break to the upside, it will run. Doesn't mean your entry is going to be perfect and it never goes lower than that. That, that would be foolish to think that's the case. So what your pain threshold is, 5% loss, 10% loss, because it, it, this goes back to my basic you know, school of thought, day one on the trading floor, 
when you get into a trade, four things can happen. You can have a small gain or a small loss, and those are normal occurrences. Your goal is to have a big gain. The one thing you can't have happen is have a big loss. And what I do when I talk to my clients about what I did as a trader is I avoid the big loss. If something breaks below where I feel comfortable, whether it's 5%, 10%, a trend change, anything like that, a news event that fundamentally gets me out of the stock, I, I take my loss, I move on. There are 5,000 plus, you know, between stocks and ETFs, I think it's, it's over 7,000 different vehicles one can trade. Don't get married to one idea. Have a game plan when you enter. And to me, that's why it's risk-reward. So there is no spur, you know, specific level. If I was a day trader, it's going to be tighter. If I was a long-term trader, I want to believe in my thesis and set it 5%, 10% below where I entered and then live with that loss and then move on to something else. And believe me, I've taken lots of little losses over the day. But when you hit that NVIDIA, when you hit that alphabet, those are the things that reward you. And uh, there, there's no better feeling than that. How do you know when to get out? Like I think about the NVIDIA people. I think about, let's say you're an employee, right? And you got stock in a much smaller number. Yeah. It keeps going up. When do you get out, right? Or like the people that had crypto weigh in, most people don't let it ride all the way. They, they usually sell it at a bad time. Yeah, it, it, that, that is actually the hardest question to answer. Because when you're in a winning trade, it, it's euphoric and you think you can go higher and go higher. I like to set goals. And once I buy a stock and it does start going my way, here, perfect example is NVIDIA. Uh, my father owns NVIDIA. You know, that's why I'm his favorite child. Uh, I got him in the stock and I got him out before earnings because, you know, he had a tremendous gain. Sell a third. You have to manage your risk because if it didn't go well, he could have dropped 100 points instead of gone up 100 points. And I want him to protect profits. So I'm always protecting profits. The old adage, no one got poor by booking profits. Yes and no. Uh, it's true. No one got poor. But yes, I also know the pain of selling something too early. I bought Google. I think I told you the story on the last, the last time we met on its IPO day, paid a little under $100 for it. My goal was if this stock can make 50%, I'm going to lock it in. It got up to 150 rather quickly. I locked in. I was ecstatic until I saw it go to 200, 300, and then become the stock it is now. Yes, I gotten back in the stock and it's it's part of my IRA and long-term holdings. But yeah, you you want to beat yourself up if you sell it too soon. But the bottom line is you made money. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to lock in profits. We're here to preserve capital. We're here to make money. Uh, if you have the stomach and you believe in something so strongly, then let it go. But don't be a fool. Do not lock in some of your profits. If you have a double in the stock, take take at least half off the table. You're in it for free now. Yes, you may look back and say, I had the greatest thing. I am not one of those diamond hands kind of people. That's not how I talk to my customers, clients, relationships. I, I want to see them make money and save money. I'm not going to say YOLO into Bitcoin. And I know people that got into Bitcoin early and they're still holding some of that initial investment. I'm very jealous of those people. Uh, but I made a little bit of money. I take it off the table. It's conservative. It's kind of boring, but it's smart. It's safe. And you live to, you know, get on to the next big thing. 
Okay, that makes sense. So let's, you were going to show us Zscaler. Talk about that. Yeah, Zscaler here. Uh, I re, I'm focused on this. I wasn't focused on it too much coming into the week until I saw what happened in Palo Alto Networks. Palo Alto Networks was down 100 points, I believe 33%. It lost a third of its value based on some weak guidance. And what happened? I don't know if you can follow my cursor, but on the right side of the screen, Zscaler was in a beautiful uptrend, reversing much of its loss going back from its 2022 peak, a theme, a trend I see in a lot of stocks and a lot of sectors coming back, reversing. So Zscaler sold off dramatically. It 260 to 200, gave back 60 points. We're talking a dramatic hit, not based on its earnings, not based on its performance. And here's a fun fact. I looked it up since they went public. They've never missed on their quarterly earnings. It's, it's the guide that people will trade. So people will I suspect they'll beat, but they got punished for something one of their peers did, the leader in cybersecurity in Palo Alto. It's rebounding a little bit. Now let's see, can it tell its own story and rebound and get back on this nice slow uptrend and finally try to make a run at its 2022 highs? So that's what their earnings will tell me. Technically, I, I think it was punished you know, just for being in the wrong sector at the wrong time. Uh, but it's also reaped the rewards of being in that sector. Now it can tell its own story next Friday when they report. So that's another one that I'm watching. Anything else chart-wise or should we uh, shut the charts down? Shut the, the charts down, but we, sh we should talk about the Russell. Um, but Pull it up, I, I, Let's I, see a quick Russell. Let's see a quick okay, Russell. You want to see the quick – I'm going to use the IWM uh, for the Russell. Uh, that is the Russell 2000 ETF. A lot of people talk about – well, the small caps aren't rallying. They're not participating. Over the last three months, the small caps until this week were up 15%, just like the S&P 500 over a three-month span, just like the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a little less than the NASDAQ 100. The Russell have been participating. They haven't been participating this year. So when I look at the Russell, I see a mess. There's this IWM. We're up, we're down. We're up, we're down. We're up. We finally broke above. This 197 level, which is basically Russell 2000, 2000, uh, we broke above it. We failed to stay above it. But when we came back, when this index came back, it made a higher low. Something changed. And when it changes like this, it held the key moving average. It's not a line in the sand, but it's a very key level of interest. And it rallied. It failed to make a new high. I didn't like that. It pulled back. It tested the 50-day moving average. It got below it for a day. Three days is what I want to see when I can sense something has changed. It rallied back above it. We have yet to make a new high in the Russell over the near term. Uh, on the IWM, I'm looking at 205. It's trading at 201 as we, we tape this. But it continues to make higher lows. I think the Russell is being held. I know the Russell is being held back by higher for longer rates. That's the most rate-sensitive in, uh, index there is. And we'll watch the PCE. We'll watch the Fed. But when they cut rates, I think you're going to see the Russell explode again. And when it moves, it can move quickly. So that'll be the beneficiary of the rate cuts. It's starting to happen. 49% of the Russell is made up of three sectors. And it's not technology. Although this super macro semiconductor stock, uh, I call it super happy fun stock because it trades like some of these crazy stocks we saw during the K-Web phenomenon years ago. Uh, that makes up almost 1.7% of the Russell. Haven't seen a stock 
have that much of an impact on the Russell since the dot-com era. It will eventually graduate to a higher index. But that stock is a small portion. It's industrials. It's healthcare. It's financials. Those three sectors are 49% of the Russell. Those three sectors are breaking out. The one part holding it back are the regional aspect of the financials. The regionals have been lagging. They continue to lag. They, they haven't you know, sold off again, which is good, but they haven't let, let the, the market lift. But the big cap financials, not in the Russell, the Goldmans, the Morgans, the JP Morgans of the world, they're doing extremely well and they're breaking out again. So I think the regionals will come back. And based on those three sectors, I think the Russell will have its day in the sun. And the good news is it stopped going down and it has stopped going down dramatically. It's absorbing higher for longer. So the IWM is what I'm watching. I think the broadening is here. I think the market is head scratching that we can continue on this, you know, 16 out of 18 weeks up in the S&P 500. It's remarkable. Uh, but let's enjoy it. The, the one thing I learned from some of the old timers on the floor, now I'm that old timer, which is frustrating, is what are the hardest markets to predict? What are the hardest markets to live through? Not just as a trader, but as an analyst. And it's not the rough bear markets that we lived through. It wasn't the COVID market uh, where we had that ridiculous drawdown of 30% in 30 days. It's slow and steady bull markets. And that's what we're, we're finally getting. It's starting to slow, but we're trending higher. And everyone's looking for a reason to sell and looking for a reason for it to end. I think it's just beginning. When you look at the technicals, we finally made back all those 2023 losses. 2024, we're breaking out, and now we'll slowly trend higher. It's not a bad thing. You have a you know a lot of economic data, a lot of headline risk. You know, in this election cycle, who knows what's going to happen? But I do know during election cycles, we do finish the year strong in an election year, and you know we can go back and look at 2020. It's a controversial election. And there was a lot of uncertainty around it. Guess what we did after the election? We rallied into the year. We rallied through January 6th. January 8th, we were making all-time highs. And something happened on January 6th that would have made me think the market would sell off. You go back to 2016, another contested election. The results were kind of shocking to some people. Markets sold off pre-market. But once the election was settled on that Wednesday after the Tuesday election day, the market trended higher and continued to trend higher. We usually finish election year stronger, up 12% on average. And I suspect we may get some consolidation, some sideways action now. But when the dust settles and we do sell off a little bit, we correct. Those are normal things. 5% retracements happen three times a year. 10% retracements happen once a year on average. It wouldn't shock me to see the S&P drop below 5,000 get back to 49, 4,800 if something was really to kind of go south. In perspective, that's where we were in November. Okay, that's that's not bad considering the, uh, the economic data points have not caused the Fed to cut rates. So I, I see positives, but how long this momentum continues, I, I'm a little on the fence. And if I had some nice profits, I would take it. I'd look for another opportunity. I think they're there in industrials, healthcare, and financials. So you would say in general, you're bullish, but take profits where you can. I think so. I, I like I said, no one, no one lost their shirt taking profits. I think you can rotate some of those profits, and we saw it. We saw it last a week ago, Thursday. Well, very interesting day. It only happened once since 2022. Eleven sectors basically define this market. They're 
11 primary sectors, technology, communications, financials, et cetera. On Thursday of last week, 10 of 11 sectors were up. One sector was down. It was technology. That was like shocking because it doesn't happen very often. That shows the strength, shows people are putting money to work. They're just getting out of some of the tech stocks and they're rotating into other sectors. And we saw that. We saw it literally happen a week ago, Thursday. And based on the broadening out of this rally that is slowly occurring under the surface, uh, I think I think there are places to stay within equities that may not be these hot tech stocks that will help you know, keep this market stable for a little while. And then at the end of the year, maybe the tide will lift all boats and we have a nice, you know, rip your face off rally like we did last year. I don't think it's going to be too dramatic to the upside, but slow and steady always wins the race. And I think that's where we are. That's not a bad thing, especially for our 401ks, our IRAs for the long haul. The day trader, it gets a little frustrating, but I think the long picture, the big picture, we're in good shape for the next year or two. Before we go, can you pull up a a treasury chart you can pick if you like twos fives or tens show me a treasury chart tell me what you think there the 10-year yield basically when the 10-year rallied to five percent which was the top you see in this chart when it made fast moves the market went the other way what's amazing about the resiliency of the market now is since the lows uh, actually since the beginning of the year the 10-year continues to slowly climb higher rates uh, you know, have risen and they're doing so slowly. We're at four and a quarter percent, 4.248 to be exact right now in the 10 year. That's, you know, higher than it was back here in late December. So late December, the 10 year bottom at 3.75%. Where was the S&P trading? The S&P was trading at 4,800. All right. 10 year rallying here. It has not had a big effect on the market as we're trading above 5,000, yet the 10-year has rallied. Something has changed, and to me, it's the speed of the moves. When you have a shock to the system and the 10-year spikes, moves quickly, the market will knee-jerk react the other way. Right now, the market is absorbing this narrative of higher for longer. It's not being spooked by a 10-year that is continuing to rise. And technically, it's in a consolidation zone. I would not like to see it get back above this uh, 4.3544 area. I, I don't think it will. I think it will pause here. But watch the 10-year. I'm glad you brought it up because if we get a spike up again, then equities are going to correct. And, and that's not abnormal. That's par for the course. What's different this time is equities have rallied on a rally in the 10-year because the 10-year has been gradual. And, and I like that because the one thing I've learned in my 30 years with technology, moves happen faster than ever. And it is tough. You have to, you know, as a trader, set your limits, set it and forget it, as we say. And, you know, because you never know how quickly a move can come and hit a bid or take an offer. Uh, so this little chart, while it is trending higher, has not affected the equity market. And it's kind of remarkable. I think that's a story unto itself. Very good. Very good. And then lastly, before we go, is there anything that you would just really stay away from? 
Is there a, a stock, oh, that, a, stock a, sector, a country? Just you like, don't touch this run as far away as possible. Yeah, the country, uh, globally, things are going well. Uh, you know, the, everyone would say, well, stay away from China. I'd take the contrarian approach and take a shot there because when they get involved in, in their markets, it has a mean reversion possible in, in China. Japan's breaking out the 30-year highs. Uh, I wouldn't avoid a market at 30-year highs. Uh, energy oil it hasn't really come back i wouldn't jump into that trade at all uh staples while they're boring uh staples utilities they're good smart safe plays if you get a little bearish you may want to go there because it looks like they bottomed but what i think they'll do is they'll kind of go sideways to slowly up they're never fun trades but if you get a little skittish and you think the tech run is over, you may want to allocate some assets into staples and utilities just to get that dividend play and just to, you know, manage any downside risk that you think could happen. But there aren't many voids right now uh, that I see out there. I, I think the market is really starting to click on most cylinders. And that's that's kind of impressive. And that's a testament to the market. Now, remember, the market's not the economy. The economy is going to stumble. This soft landing narrative, everyone's on board. It, it, it will never have a soft landing. Something will happen. I don't know what it is, but that's what makes coming to work every day so exciting. I don't know what the next day is going to bring, but I'm ready to adapt and adjust to it when it happens. I love it. I love it, Jay. Thank you so much. Appreciate you walking me through everything. I feel I feel so much more informed about the markets and, and how you're seeing it and really walking through the charts really made a big difference. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Eric. Always a pleasure. Thanks to our guest, Jay Woods, for joining us here on Wealthy. And of course, if you like the episode, actually hit the like button or the subscribe button, comment, share, do all those things that help get helps get the content out there to more people so they can enjoy, listen, learn as well. And of course, for more information about all our shows, all of our past episodes, you can go to wealthion.com. A lot of resources there. You can see like Anthony Scaramucci's show. You can submit questions for that. It's got the live Q&A. If you're trying to figure out, hey, I need an investment help, a professional, someone who can help me walk through this because I don't want to do it myself, we've got a form there you can fill out. We can connect you with people that we know, that we have relationships with. doesn't cost anything, just a free public service we provide, no commitment, just something you can check out at wealthion.com. Thanks again to Jay Woods. I'm Eric Chemi. We'll see you next time.